Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is a college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Well, this stage makes me feel a lot more important than I probably actually am. Uh, I was not prepared for this, but I'm excited. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Cole Moog, and I've been on staff at Veritas for a little over a year and a half now. Um, but even if you don't know me uh, that well, and even if you do know me, um, what we don't know is actually as a pretty good uh, basketball player in late middle school going into high school. Uh, I was playing in a small private school, and then uh, a coach came to one of my games and invited me to try out for an AAU team. And an AAU team is basically a fancy much more competitive league. Uh, and so I thought it was really important, and I tried out, and believe it or not, I actually made it. Uh, so my freshman year of high school, that kind of started going on, and I asked my mom for pictures for proof, uh, just in case you guys didn't believe me, since I'm six foot, uh, 160 on a good day. And so there's a picture right there of me, and then you'll see one of my team in a second, uh, just for proof so you guys actually believe me. Um, but after I made the team, I really let everyone know uh, how important I was. I told my friend subtly, like, oh, man, sorry, I can't make the night. I have to go uh, to practice. Sorry, I can't get Andy's. I have a big game. Um, but, and also, I just kind of became, like, a jerk to my friends, like, always bragging. I uh, thought I was really cool and really, really important. Uh, subtle stuff like that. Um, but um, on my good days, I recognized that AAU was very different than a small uh, private school. And this is a lot better competition. Um, so on my good days, I'd probably say I was middle of the pack somewhere. My bad days, I was for sure like a bottom three uh, player on the team. But I, maybe I was too high myself. Maybe I was too critical. But uh, I'll never forget this. I, we had a week of practice. I, it was an awful week for me. Really, really bad week. Then we had back-to-back games. And the second game, my coach sent me out. And in front of my team, my family, the other team and their families and the refs, everyone there, he looked me in the eye and said, Cole, you're without a doubt the worst player on this team. Not, not, that's a true story, not even kidding. Uh, I think my dad kind of started looking around and like asking whose son is that uh, kind of thing. No, I'm kidding, he didn't do that. But safe to say after that, I never really thought I was important. Uh, and so tonight we're wrapping up our sermon series called Rhythms of the Way by talking about hospitality. But what really is hospitality? We, we throw that word around a lot, but I'm not sure we actually know what it means. Well, we get our Greek word, um, Greek word for hospitality is uh, philozenia, which is one which is where we get our word hospitality from. When you break it up, it's uh, you get philo, which means brotherly love, one of the four kinds of love, and then also you get zenia, which translates to love of the stranger or outsider. So we combine those; it combines exactly to love or stranger of the outsider. Now, certainly, you can show hospitality to your friends. Dave's talked that a really great uh, sermon on that last week, and so my main focus will be kind of focusing on how do we love the stranger and the outsider. Um, but so how does my failed basketball career relate to hospitality? Um, because I think one of the biggest barriers to hospitality is our, when, when we view ourselves too highly, whenever we kind of think we're really important and we're too wrapped up in ourselves to love the stranger. 
For me, the story comes to mind instantly when I think of how a high view of self kind of impacted uh, the lack of love of a stranger. I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Before we break down, uh, before we get into the story, let's break down three characters, the priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now, in this context, the priest represents the upper class of Jewish society. The original listener of this parable would have seen them as really, really important. Uh, they're a great pillar in the Jewish faith, uh, really important in the temple. A Levite was a gatekeeper, and we have a Levite who is the gatekeeper of the temple, who also uh, helped upkeep the temple. Um, that was mainly his main role. And for those who don't know what temple I'm talking about, this is a temple that um, the Israelites built. Um, they rebuilt after one of them was torn down, but this is how God met his people. That's, that's their design of it. That's where they, met, they, they, met, they went to go make their sacrifices and where God was actually inside the temple. Um, so Levite, not quite as important as a priest, but really, really important. Um, and let me, we come to the Samaritan. Now, Samaritan is seen as the ultimate outsider in the Jewish community. Around 720 BC, uh, the country of Assyria uh, uh, raided the uh, Jewish nation Israel. And the Samaritans were actually Israelites who intermingled, intermixed with the, uh, with the Assyrians. And so because of this, the Jews hated the Samaritans for over 700 years. Now let's get into the story, uh, starting in Luke 10:30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped of him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed him by the other, on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and, on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Then the next day he took out two denarii, the currency of the time, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is Jesus talking. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Next, the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I think the question we immediately have to ask is, why did the priest and Levite walk past this man? Why didn't they stop to help them? I think there's a little bit of answer, but did they view themselves too highly because of their social status? Were they feeling too important to stop and help them? Did all their time working in the temple make them feel too highly of themselves? I don't know for sure, but it's clear they didn't, have, they didn't value this man equally and over importance to themselves, or they would have stopped to help him. An irony of the story is a lot of historians think that the person that was beaten up and robbed was actually on the way to the temple, on, either on the way to or on the way from the temple. So these, the Levi and the priest who were in the temple with this guy didn't stop to help him. They missed their chance to show hospitality. But when we hear this story, we, we definitely, whenever we hear this story, we think of ourselves as a, good, as a good Samaritan, right? We immediately say, but that's not me. I'm the good Samaritan. I would stop and help someone if I was in need. But would we? A few days ago, no, sorry, a few months ago on campus for COVID, uh, I went uh, to meet it with a guy in my small group, and I saw a guy and a bird around a corner too quickly, and it's a car going straight. So he went this way, 15, 20 miles an hour, just ran right into the car. And so if you had to guess, everyone stopped to help this guy, right? And this guy's going 15, 20 miles an hour on a bird, ran right into a car. But I saw 25 people just walk past. Now, now why do we think that happened? Because their class, their schedule, their day, their time, was more important than the guy who ran into the car. And also, Princeton Theological Seminary held a, held a really, really interesting modern-day um, experiment on the Good Samaritan. They asked some students to prepare a sermon on the Good Samaritan, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan that we just went through. 
What the students didn't know is that on the way to actually give that sermon, they had run into someone who looked like the man from the story. He was beaten up, badly bruised, definitely needed medical attention. And if we had to guess, these students would stop to help the guy, right? They're literally on the way to give a sermon on the Good Samaritan. These are the good seminary students. But we found out that only 40% of the students stopped. It may seem modest that only 40% of the students stopped to help. They were literally on the way to give a sermon on the Good Samaritan. But if we really sit and think about it, are the people that we pass by, maybe even without knowing it, that we're passing by people with the opportunity to show hospitality? Maybe it's not explicitly we pass someone because we think more important, but could we be? Maybe it's a girl or guy in your class who you moved away from literally on the other side of the lecture hall because they asked you so many questions you just couldn't handle anymore. Maybe we were, maybe we were having intentional conversations with our classmates, roommates, people in your sorority fraternity because you're too focused on your own schedule. You don't take time for people to really sit down and be intentional with them. Maybe more than we like to admit, we're actually walking past people. We forget that without Jesus, we're just like the man on the side of the road. While the man was left physically for dead, our sin without Jesus leaves us spiritually for dead. I know it's pretty intense language, and I know spiritually for dead sounds pretty intense, but check out what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death. Do we take our sin this seriously? Do we really think our sin is a big deal? Maybe we said all the right answers in our discussion groups this summer or our small groups during the spring and fall. We have a Christian friends where we can talk about these things and say all the right answers. But is that actually how we're living our lives? Do we, do we really believe that the lives that we tell, the way we gossip about people behind their backs, the way we unfairly judge people, and the small sins that no one really sees, do we really think those lead to death? There's a really unique story in the Gospel of John of how not seeing little sins can slowly, over time, lead to death. And here it is, John 12, 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. So who is this verse talking about? You've probably heard of him, uh, Judas, disciple Judas Iscariot. See, Judas was a treasurer of the disciples. He was in charge of keeping all the money donated to Jesus and disciples on their missions and their travels. And we could easily miss it, but what did John say Judas did? Well, he took money that was given to Jesus and the disciples. And what is Judas Iscariot known for? Betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's his main storyline, right? But we often skip this part of Jesus' story. We skip the part where he betrayed, we just go right to the part where he betrayed Jesus, but didn't even talk about the fact where this whole time he was skimming money off the top and taking money from the disciples. So we see the seed of greed growing in Jesus' life, but we only skip to the end. To put the story in the right context, uh, 30 pieces of silver in this, in this time period was only five weeks of a servant's wage. So Judas sold the son of God for five weeks of a certain servant's wage. He saw all the miracles. He was there performing some of the miracles according to the gospels. He was there doing all these things. And yet he betrayed Jesus. What does that tell us? I think it tells us that the power and weight of our sin is heavier than we like to admit that if Judas can get to the point of selling the Son of God after seeing all these things, being with Jesus for three years, for 30 pieces of silver, what could our sin be slowly doing to us? I think if we don't understand the weight of our little, what even feels like little sins, the small sins that no one sees, we could slowly end up, end up like Judas over time, leaving our sins unchecked, leading to death. 
So how does Jesus' story relate to hospitality? Romans 5.8 has, I think, a pretty solid answer. Um, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean that Jesus died for us? Well, 1 John 2.2 says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, this is the greatest gift of hospitality we could ever receive. The ultimate act of loving the stranger, Jesus died to save us from our sins, our spiritual death, to bring us, the outsider, into his family and gave us a new life. So why is it important that we see the weight of our sin? Because that makes Jesus' gift so much more powerful. If we truly understand that our sin leads to death and that's the just, just punishment we deserve, it should make Jesus' death on the cross life-changing. So how does Jesus' death on the cross change our lives? Well, I think it absolutely changes the way we show hospitality to others. Our entire source of loving people and showing hospitality is because of the gift that we've received first. So how do we respond to this gift? There's a verse in Hebrews that sums it up really well, and here it is. First Hebrews 9, 14. How much more then the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousnesses from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So response isn't to say, wow, thanks God for giving eternal life. Um, it's really kind of you. I'm just gonna chill and do my own thing though. Thanks, I'm good. No, 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 we miss it. But at the end it says, so that we may serve the living God. Well, so how do we serve him? Well, one way the Bible says, to serve him is show hospitality to others, to bring people into his family. Hebrews 13, two says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Romans 12, 13 says, Share the, Lord's people who, share the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So that we know that God asks us to hospitality, we know because this gift we receive, we should do it. But how do we practically do that? First, we have to humble ourselves. Like I said at the beginning, one of the greatest barriers for hospitality is selfishness. Is our own, we're getting in our own way. However, our sins put us on the level playing field. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. We are just as sinful as the person next to us. Even if they're three, three seats apart, you're still that sinful. Understanding this helps negate our high view of ourselves, loving the stranger. and helps us love the stranger because we were that stranger. The Apostle Paul, one of the most influential people of the early church, said this in 1 Timothy 15, 1.15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to, into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. See, Paul gets it. Paul sees himself as a sinner who truly needs Jesus more than anything else. Paul recognizes and says, I'm the worst of sinners. So he feels the power of Jesus' gift and goes out and serves him. So second, we have to realize that hospitality isn't just for the people who are especially gifted with hospitality or extroverts or whatever you want to say. Because we're all sinners who receive this greatest gift of hospitality. We should be overflowing with a desire to bring others in into this gift. 1 Peter 4.9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter knows hospitality isn't for everyone's strong suit. If people get busy, it's hard to talk to people about Jesus. To invite, hard, it's hard to find people to Veritas. Because the gift that we've received, we should be excited about the opportunity to care for someone well, even if it isn't easy. This, isn't, this looks differently for everyone, right? There's not one way to practice hospitality. This could be inviting someone to read by the pool. This could be playing sand volleyball. This could be going on a run. Whatever it is, invite people into your life. 
it, it, all you have to do is invite someone in your life, something that you like to do, and sometimes it's, not even, it's like it's, not, it's like it's kind of like they're not even there, but it's fun, and you can invite someone into your life. Maybe even during the school year, create a study study group with people from your class or small group. And I think one of the one of the best things about hospitality, especially as Christians, is we have to show hospitality when we're tired, busy, and stressed. Now, why? Because it, I think it says a lot about the Jesus that we serve. What about what if you during your doing your and your classmates' busiest test week, you go out and buy coffee for a few of them? During the busiest time of your group project, you go out of your way and get donuts for your group for the early morning meeting that no one wants to go to, but you have to go to anyways? What if you put your phone down and really listen to that friend or that person in your class who's going through a rough time with their significant other, their family member, their friend? What message would that send to the people around you about the Jesus that you serve? And then after kind of building capital, being in their lives and loving them well, you can slowly begin to explicitly point them to Jesus. You can say, I have no idea what you believe. I have no idea what you think of Christianity or what you think of religion in general. But when I go to this thing called Veritas, I feel my most welcomed and most relaxed and most loved. Or when I go to my small group on Thursday nights, I feel like I really matter. I feel like I'm really, truly known. Imagine if every person in here did that. Little acts of hospitality can begin to show others that we genuinely care for them and can slowly bring them to the greatest gift, Jesus and now kind of like the elephant in the room, kind of the tough thing is, well, what does the fall look like? We have no idea if we're going to be in, in person, and Mizzou has rolled out a plan, but who knows, that could change any day. We're all wearing masks tonight, probably for the first time in church. So it's, it's a different season, it's a different life. But we have this thing called Zoom. We all hate it, especially because class sucks. But we have this thing called Zoom where we can invite people in and do that well, right? We can still have that study group online, we can still invite people in. We could still Venmo someone, say, hey, here's five bucks, treat yourself for coffee, whatever. You can still do these things. Not only doesn't stop because of COVID. And if anything, that should stir us more to love people better. It stir us to love people better because that says that something that we're different. And we love people strongly in that way. We're different than other people. Lastly, think about this. What if Jesus decided it wasn't worth dying for us? I know it's a radical question because obviously we know that he did with everything we're talking about tonight. What if he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and changed his mind, like, I'm good. That sounds like really tough. I don't want to do that. But of course, we know the story. It's not what happened, right? How did he respond? Luke 22:42 42 says this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, he clung to his father's will because he knew it would erase our sin and bring us into his family forever. Despite all the horrible things he's about to face, his torture, his ridicule, ridicule, his crucifixion, his death, he chose us. And the fact that we're sinners doesn't surprise God. God knew every single one of our sins, the ones we committed yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But he told us that we're worth it because he sent his son as atonement for those sins. And his son knew how important his death was by bearing it all, not just for our sins, but for the whole world. And so he said, you are worth it. Isn't that incredible? He sees us for who we really are and still accepts us. What could happen if we brought people into that beautiful gift of acceptance and love? Maybe this summer, we're done with the summer, so maybe in the fall, whatever that looks like. Now, as the music team comes back up, I'm going to tell you one last story. There's a guy who came to Mizzou five to six years ago, 
Uh, came from out of state, didn't really know anyone, made a few acquaintances in his dorm, but didn't really fit in. But he managed to get a mutual acquaintance with a friend. He met, he, met the, he met these two guys named Caleb and Ross. Caleb and Ross were explicit Christians, overt Christians, but not like in an annoying way, but in a kind way. Um, and they kept, they kept inviting this guy to Veritas every Tuesday night. They said, hey, man, come to Veritas. He's like, ah, I'm busy. Uh, when he really wasn't busy, he was just doing homework. Not really. Uh, he was hanging out. But and they, they invited him to the small group. He said, okay, I'll come to the small group, see what it's like. And he enjoyed it. But truthfully, he had one foot in small group, one foot in Harpo's. He went back and forth all the time, and he didn't really know what he was about yet, still trying to figure a lot out. But these guys kept pursuing him, kept inviting him to things. This guy got uh, mono his second semester of college, and these guys sent him care packages. They really, truly brought him in and loved him. And he finally said, okay, I'll go to Veritas tonight. It was the last one of the second semester. And he went with them. It was actually an outdoor worship night. He met some bald guy named Austin, really cool guy I found out. Um, and that, that bald guy named Austin became a small group leader sophomore year. And after that, he became a leader for an organization called K-Life in town. He led sophomore guys in high school for two years. After that, he went to an internship in Kansas City where he led high school, middle school guys. And then a year later, Austin talked to him and said, hey man, we, we want to come in and Veritas intern. That sounds like fun. Two years later, he's standing right here, right here, right now, in front of you. Now, it's not, it's not about me, right? The story's not about me, but the story's about what hospitality can do. Hospitality radically changed my life. And it wasn't because uh, these guys just liked me. I mean, they did. Like, they're two of my best friends are right there now. Um, they were actually just in my wedding last year. But it's because the gift of Jesus they knew they had this gift. They knew what they had to do. They went out and served Jesus, and that brought me into his family forever. I'm eternally grateful for what they've done. So in the nicest way, in the humblest way possible, I want to ask, what's holding you back? Don't let yourself get in the way. Go out, bring people into his family. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.